Welcome to the Bureau Briefing. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors. They are amazing. Thank you to MailChimp. If you need a marketing platform, MailChimp is so much more than just email. They help you with Facebook ads, with Google ads. You just got to check them out. And the way that you can slice and dice the campaigns, it's beautiful. 10,000 feet. You know, if you need insights into your projects and your people, 10,000 feet is the resourcing tool that can help you with that. And also gather content. Content is always the thing that drags every project down. But when you use gather content, you can get a handle on it. And now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Bureau Briefing. With me today, I have a business and development professional with 25 years experience who opened her own shop about five years ago, the Sutter Company. It's Jody Sutter. How are you doing, Jody? I'm good, Carl. How are you? I'm good. And it's really nice to have you on the show. Uh, I've had a few people who I would call coaches, people who are in that professional space to help people get better uh, on the show. And it's always one of those things for me where I'm just like, Whew, that feels like a tough business. And, and for you to have been going for five years and, and have 25 years of experience, I, I think you deserve a little round of applause. Oh, thank, so Thank you very much. Good for you. Wait, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you get into this. Yeah, sure. So I have, yeah, as you said, I have been doing this for um, a long time. I guess all, my career has always been in and around business development for creatively driven companies. So sometimes those were small boutique agencies. Sometimes those were big multinational global agencies, uh, digital agencies, photography and production companies. Uh, so, but the, so a lot of different types of agencies worked with a lot of different types of clients, but the one um, consistency was business development, going out there, marketing the agencies I worked for and figuring out how to win more clients and close business. And then about five years ago, it was kind of a lifestyle change. I moved out of New York City out to Eastern Long Island and I decided to open my own firm. And um, I ended up narrowing my focus to smaller agencies and specifically working with the CEOs of smaller agencies that uh, feel like they're underperforming when it comes to winning new business, which is frankly a lot of agencies. Um, and I think a lot of these agencies felt like business development was just a little bit mysterious. And so I helped to kind of unshroud that mystery and show that they're, that they're, it's, it's really about getting some basic fundamentals right. I also found that because of the size of these agencies, that whether they wanted to hear it or not, the CEO or the leadership team or the partners, whatever you want to call it, um, that the CEOs tended to be the most important business development resource that those agencies had. And if they were able to realize that, then we could. I could put, I put prescriptive um, solutions and programs in place that match their personality, their resources, their goals. And I try to put a program in place that they're, they're going to be more likely to embrace because it's, it's there, because it fits them. And that leads to long-term <laughs> revenue. Well, now, tell me, how do you define small? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And I have to admit that um, depending on who I'm talking to, sometimes that's a bit of a sliding scale. I've worked with agencies that are as small as like, you know, one and a half people. Sometimes it's just a principal (laughs) with a couple of part-timers. And probably the largest agencies I've worked with are more like um, 55 to 70. Uh, Okay. Yeah. And even though, like I said, I've got experience with lots of lots of different sized agencies, that tends to be the sweet spot. You know, usually it's under fifty. Well, in our experience, we've heard a lot of shops. Kelly Goto was the first person I've ever heard mention this. Say that thirty to fifty is the toughest range yeah. in terms of full time employees. It's like you, once you get to thirty, your original team is starting to get disillusioned. They never expected it to get this big, so you, so your original growth kind of disappears. They go away. It leaves this gap in terms of the culture, and then you're trying to quickly grow, and you're putting in people who might not necessarily have not even the best interest for the company, but they're just kind of confused. They don't know what they're supposed to do and all your systems are falling apart. So then once you get over 50, you're like, oh, okay, well, we're sustainable. So I can imagine that that, that group is the group that's like, okay, Jody, help us. Help us now. You know, it's a little <laughs> bit. Of, it's a little bit of both too, because a lot of times it is those really, um, those, those fast growing agencies that just need that extra support. What I do find going back to the like the CEO being the most valuable business development resource, what I also find is that once that and again I'm using CEO for proc- as a proxy for sure. partners and uh, and things like that. But once they can figure out where their business development strengths lie, it makes it so much easier and more productive to then hire out or hire in the types of talent that they need. I think that's the other thing is that when, they, when they're not in touch with what they do well when it comes to business development, they just keep making the wrong types of decisions about outsourcing and hiring. And that adds to the confusion that you were talking about. I, I totally agree. And also the, the problem is when you hire somebody new, that CEO is the historian. Yeah. They know what the company has done great at, what the company has not succeeded at. They have all the bias about why they can't succeed with certain things when they could have been part of the problem. Right. So it's like somebody new coming in has all of those challenges. But when we when we look at a shop overall, if they've got an established team or if, if they're just starting to form out, um, so many people hate pitching, mm-hmm. right? And, and they're just, I've talked to so many shops and like, well, inbound is the best, but there's certain work we want to get. And to get that work, we're going to have to learn how to pitch what is it that you see in, in your years of experience that shops just do poorly? What is it about them when they sit down that they just don't know how to win the pitch? This is something that came to me or that I guess it's a, a thought process that started developing a couple of years ago. And I had a bit of a, an epiphany moment when I realized that um, there is a fundamental disconnect between the way we pitch business and the way that our clients receive that information information and it actually is based it, it stems from the fact um, it's it, it's based on how our brains work so it's not just us pitching and receiving that information pitching to clients and clients receiving it it's actually about how human beings communicate with each other and um, and when I started realizing that I started I started I was able to then advise my clients in a whole new way of positioning themselves in the right way to, to clients. And, uh, and if you, if you're willing, I'm happy to go into a little bit of the background of the brain science. I always laugh because I'm not a brain scientist, but (laughs) I've managed to like reduce the, 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 this, this whole story down to about, uh, I don't know, about under two minutes. 
Are you going to talk about my lizard brain and my neocortex? I am. Because we don't know each other that well, Jody. <laughs> for you to start poking around my lizard brain. Well, you no, know. No, go ahead. Share, share what you know. Make everybody smarter. We all have them. So, yeah. So here's the little bit about how our brains evolved. And many of us know this, but just as a bit of a refresher. So the lizard brain... The, the the most you know, the prehistoric part of our brain the part of our brain that crawled out of the swamp with our little lizard bodies right and the, our lizard oh, our lizard brain we were so cute we were, so we cute. were adorable <laughs> killing each other tearing you know, oh. yeah but so we were um, no I guess we didn't kill everyone because we did survive and evolve but so our neocortex is the part of our brain that's responsible for fight or flight aggression uh, basic pleasure instincts. But it's uh, and it also the neocortex is also the the front line for all incoming messages. So when any type of message, whether it's simple or complex, um, pleasurable or unpleasurable, comes our way, that's greeted by the neocortex. Our neocortex figures out whether it's okay or not okay to send up the the, the brain ladder. Then on the other end, the most highly evolved part of our brain is our neocortex, right? And so our neocortex mm -hmm. is responsible for abstract um, thought processes, languages, um, complex problem solving. So here's the problem. If we, when we sit down to write a pitch or write a document or come up with that like compelling email that's going to make someone want to hire us, we go straight to our neocortex and it usually spits out a bunch of drivel, a bunch of abstract language um, it's not very persuasive and it's received by our clients, lizard brains. And the first thing they do is either delete the email or pull out their smartphone in the meeting when they start to get a little bit bored or worried. That type of language is really threatening. So what I try to do is work with the, work with the agency, with my agencies, my clients to switch things around a little bit and to start making their pitches a little friendlier to the lizard brain. And it's not necessarily making them simpler or dumbing them down. It's just, um, it's getting the process right. Yeah. Well, we tell people all the time in, in the different events that we have, as well as in the community, you know, the, the number one thing to make people comfortable to establish trust is being familiar. Yeah. And if you start using any type of industry terminology, then you're immediately making somebody feel uncomfortable and they're just going to check out. So it sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah. You know, agencies in general, um, not all of them, but in general agencies operate from uh, two, maybe I'll add a third, but two really big challenges when it comes to business development. The first is that most of them have zero sales culture. Um, so right. to the extent that sales is even a bad word, which is why we call it business development. So if there's, <laughs> so if there's no sales culture, there's no respect for sales, it means that the person or, or team that's responsible for generating new business is not going to be trained and supported terribly well. So you send these people out there. Sometimes it's the CEO. Sometimes the CEO has, has, has a team, builds a team around her or him, but no one's really getting the support that they need. And the second big disadvantage is that we sell really abstract stuff. And that is the yeah. hardest stuff to sell. It would be one thing if we were out there selling, um, I don't know, um, like, you know, a, a iPhones. <laughs> Those are fairly, or at least they used to be fairly easy to sell. They're a thing. Someone you know what you're getting. Nope. Yeah. You know yeah. what you're getting. And, um, so what also happens, and you get the neocortex involved and you get the inexperienced salespeople or inexperienced agency people who are forced to do sales, they go right to their neocortex to ask for help. The neocortex starts spitting out stuff like words like 
innovative and uh, results-driven and digital-first and all these things that they're not necessarily inaccurate, but they're not compelling. They don't tell a story. There's nothing tangible. And it's the same thing that that client heard in a dozen of other emails or in the last two pitches they got from other agencies. Yeah. So, so right now I'm just sitting here, you can't see me because this is radio. That's how it works. But I'm just shaking my head like, oh, so many old pain points coming back. Yeah. And how many times was I in a meeting with a client and I just said, look, if you really, really want to succeed, let's work together to figure out what we do. Because if I start sharing with you what we've done for other people, it's not you. It's not going to work. And, you know, as soon as you get familiar and you get honest and you get just a little bit vulnerable, it's like, that's when we would win. Yeah. Well, vulnerability also, I think, means a lot. And it's interesting. I want to I want to challenge you in a couple of things. But first, I guess, talk about the vulnerability. That um, I also think that that ties into a bit of like narrative and storytelling. So, well, so one of the things I advise my clients also is that a way to get away from this abstract language is to start incorporating storytelling into your pitch. Yeah. And uh, the thing that's that makes stories so appealing to our lizard brains is this sense of um, that is that so, is the thing is this is the something at stake, um, and also this this uh, this back and forth between, um, uh, you know, su surprises and setbacks. So when there's a setback, you're, when you're describing a setback, you're describing yourself as vulnerable, but ideally that setback, you, you figure out a solution to that setback, which of course puts you in a position of power, but without that vulnerability, without that, uh, that, that moment where the client says, oh yeah, that was a that was a really innovative solution. That was they were they were totally relentless in trying to figure out how to solve that problem. And you notice they're using words that agencies always use: innovative, relentless. And yet, it's the <laughs> client using those words, not you, because you're telling them a really good good story. Now, it's, but it's interesting about your, the familiarity. I actually think that case studies, even though it's about a different client, I think that case studies are a very powerful way. Of For incorporating sure. a narrative that a client can relate to without it necessarily being about the client. Do you find how much did you use case studies in pitching? I would say we use stories a lot. Yeah. They were case studies, but we never framed them as case studies, mainly because it was hard to verify some of the true results. Yeah, interesting. Um, so we never wanted to misrepresent. But we would often go in and say, here's a situation that we were working with Chase, right? Mm -hmm. Like the big name always makes people comfortable. Yep. But say we we're working with Chase, they were having this issue with converting on their home mortgage app. We talked with about 30 other people, found out the main problem was that it just took too long. So we helped them speed everything up and they started closing about an extra 15%. Yeah. So little things like that and sharing it that way always worked really huge for us. Yeah. You also focused there on their customer's pain point. Absolutely. And uh, and that's sometimes something I think that's glossed over. So the, an agency, another agency might have focused on the speed without mm -hmm. spending a little bit of time on the, 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 the lack of speed, the, the problem that they were trying to solve and the, and yeah, the repercussions absolutely. of that problem. I remember actually part of the story I would tell is I was sitting down with one of your customers and we were we were going through the process and they asked me if I wanted a cup of coffee. And I said, yeah, but I'd like to finish this first. And they said, oh, we've got time. 
<laughs> That's great. And we had about 10 minutes. We had about 10 minutes before the app actually was able to verify it. And what you have to realize is these people get paid based on the number of applications they can get through in a day. So you're going to lose Yeah. until you can speed it up. But yeah, so, so I, I appreciate what you're saying. And it's, it's good to know because storytelling is, is so important in so many aspects of our lives, yeah. not just in terms of you know, business, but, but from a pitching perspective, I think that makes everybody more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And then the trick is learning how to take that story because often you do not have the time for a full-blown narrative. Um, so how do you take that, that element of storytelling and put it into uh, a quick LinkedIn introduction or an email or a phone call or a, an introduction at a, um, at a, at a conference? So, so tell us the answer, Jody. How do you do it? <laughs> well, first of all, I think it comes down to it's all about the basics. I wish, you know, sometimes I wish that I had like some sort of new inventive silver bullet that no one's ever heard of. But it really comes down to the basics of understanding what you do well, uh, you the agency does well, and the uh, and and who your ideal client is. Um, and once you can make that magic connection, then the stories start to flow. And in fact, you're able to, you are often invited in to tell a bigger narrative. It's when you are not clear about what you do and when you're speaking to the wrong type of client that those narratives then aren't welcome. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I've, compl- if I actually directly ax- a- answered your question, but a lot of it has to do with getting the positioning right first. No, I, I think you did. You know, the, so often, and I think a lot of this comes to, I, I have this real battle right now with how many of us have imposter syndrome yeah. versus how many of us are insecure. Hmm. And and I think there's a real difference. So that's a whole other episode. Yeah. Uh, um, I, th- I think imposter syndrome is much more about being a part of a community that you feel is going to be let down if you fail, hmm. right? Yeah. Such as if, if you're a woman and you're in a role and you're worried that women are going to be seen not being able to do a role, that's imposter syndrome, yeah. right? You're probably absolutely strong, right? But for me, I have insecurities and I often say it's imposter syndrome. So, okay, let's get back to the point. That's what people like, get to the point. Um, so I think a lot of it becomes insecurity mm-hmm. when you go into a pitch and you're trying to justify why you're there yeah. and forget that the reason you're there is not to talk about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I was... Um- Okay, you're you're gonna laugh, and I guess your audience won't know that we had a quick conversation before this, uh, when in which you said you really hate this, that you don't necessarily love this phrase. But earlier today, I was talking to a client of mine, um, and <laughs> <laughs> but, I had no idea where you were going. I was sorry. like, "Oh my god, what did I say?" No, no, that's, I don't know that's you... awesome. So, but I but I was, and he was. Um, so I have to remember where I was going with this. So he was talking about a, a, a phone meeting that he has with a potential new client. And he was saying, you know, I'm going to go in, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to, I'm really, I'm prepared to go in and talk about first, we're going to talk about my background, the background of my agency. And then I'm going to give them a bit of a case study. And then maybe I'll offer them some ideas on things that I think they could do with their marketing. And then I'm going to offer to send them an initial scope of work. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, it's, you know, so let's go, let's take a big step back. So first of all, what I said, what you want to try to do is couch that background and that case study and their needs. And maybe even, you know, one of the things I also hate, hate is when, when you get that question like, well, tell, 
um, you know, where you get a 30 minute phone call set, set up with the vendor. And then that vendor gets on the phone and, it's, and they, that vendor says, well, tell us a little bit about your issues. And I think, you know what, you should have done that homework before you got on the phone with me. <laughs> so you want to set it up with something. And this is where I also find that quote unquote case studies or client examples become very useful because it's, you're couching it more in a frame of reference that like, um, in my experience, working with clients like yours, here are the top three issues that we tend to help our clients overcome. Does that resonate with you? And then you're opening. So then you're asking an open-ended question. And um, probably what's going to happen, because you are a qualified agency and you're talking to a, um, a qualified lead, is that they'll say, yeah, that's exactly what we're up against. Or we're up against item one more than item two. And then they start talking about what that is. And then you can react to that. And likewise, at the end, instead of saying, um, we're going to send you a scope of work, um, I think it's more about framing, again, open-ended questions like, well, would you, would you like help in, in trying to address some of those obstacles? Would it be welcome if we sent you some ideas? And could we set up a time to talk about those ideas? So you're sort of keeping the dialogue going, and uh, and again, you're incorpor- you're starting to incorporate their narrative as well as include as well as as yours, or into yours. Yeah, so I, I'm just curious. Do you think with your clients when they're when they're talking with a prospect, do you think the prospect has a lot of different companies they're considering, or do you think they're kind of going one at a time? Uh, well, gosh, that's an interesting question. I, I think it really depends. Um, okay. So, you know, there are some situations where it's a formal agency review, um, right. and that tends to happen with larger enterprise clients and with usually with larger agencies, I suppose, but not always. I mean, one of my one of you know one of the smallest agencies I work with, they work with a global automaker, so they're always responding to, to formal RFPs, but they're you know a tiny agency. So, yeah, I, I I was just curious because I think that changes so much of the discussion as yeah. well. And it's funny you mentioned formal RFPs, and and I wrote this this blog post, which was not overly popular. I mean, it was tremendously it it, it was read a lot, but people didn't like it called really effing pointless. Um, And we started replying to RFPs by redlining them and sending them back and saying, hey, uh, you're going to get taken advantage of. These are terms you're using. You obviously don't know what they mean. And this budget is ridiculous. It's either way too much or way too little. And if you want somebody to just have coffee with and talk about what's going on, we're happy to do that. But we spend all of our time with people that are paying us money. So if you've got companies that are really diving into this heavily. They're taking time away from people that are paying them. And once you work with them, they're going to take that time away from you. Wow. So that's like, awesome. What we happened? Would, what we would get about probably 10%. Mm-hmm. We'd backdoor the RFPs. Yeah. You know, we'd at least get the call. Um, and of those, we would, if we didn't get them right then, we would follow up like six months later to see how it was going. Yeah. And sometimes we would get them then. Well, right. yeah. And you know, this also, you know, it's mentioned that there are three disadvantages agencies have working against them in business development situations. Um, the, uh, the third thing, which I didn't mention, is that we tend, to, most of us tend to be really client service oriented. And so <laughs> doing something like your yeah. agency did is anathema. They're like, well, how can we push back? Well, 
Yeah. Yeah. There's absolutely no reason not to, you have to be willing to accept the risks, but, um, the, the, the potential rewards can be very high. And you can get through so RFP so much faster yeah. and it's actually fun. Yeah. And one of our mantras was serious fun. And if something wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. And RFPs were really fun. Mm-hmm. So we, we figured out that way to make them fun. Yeah. Right. So it was a, it was one of those things I always wondered, you know, how other shops approach it. And then we would also, if we knew we were pitching against other shops and people didn't always like this, but if we knew a shop was going to present three ideas. We would say, look, if, if they're telling you they're going to give you three options, they obviously haven't done enough research or don't have enough experience to know what you should do, right? Mm, right. And then if we knew somebody was going to come in with just one, we'd be like, why would they think they understand what it is to be you? Yeah. I mean, you have to be a part of this process, so we're going to show you three options for you to guide us in. <laughs> we would totally flip our philosophy based on what we thought oh. they wanted. I And right now I'm thinking I should never publish this because I'm looking like a complete ass. <laughs> well, no, but, you know. but that was how we succeeded was because we just anticipated what they were needing and who we were up against. And I suppose uh, this is a little bit different from what I advise, but I always say to play to your strengths. And so if you if you knew enough about what your competitors were doing in a competitive pitch, um, it yeah. would be silly to try to compete based on their strengths. Uh, it makes much more sense to do something contrary, especially if it's if that's going to be playing to your strengths. It, and you know, it did blow up occasionally, um, but we always found that the people it blew up with, we probably shouldn't be working with anyway. Yeah, the other thing you did, we're sort of getting off the topic of pitching badly, but the other thing you said you did, which is something I also <laughs> always advise, pitching amazingly. <laughs> Let's talk about being yeah. great at pitching. Charity. Well, it was also go. You went back, so you, when the when you weren't yeah. when it did blow up initially, you then followed back up with them after, I don't know, months or, or maybe years, I guess it depends on the contract. And uh, I think that, um, I think agencies neglect that too. So you go through a pitch process, essentially you are getting, even if you lose the pitch, you're getting great exposure to a whole mess of clients at a desirable company. And then you never, you're never in contact with them again. I think that's so silly. So how, how did that, I'd love to hear more about how that worked out. Did, did, was that successful when you went back to follow up and did you ever get business that way? Yeah, we did. It wasn't always with that company though. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they would, they would go off to another yeah. company and they would call us. Uh, I think the thing that worked the best was when we would leave a pitch or follow up via email or whatever, I would always, I would always end with, look, if we lose because we cost too much, I'm totally fine with that. I understand that we're expensive, but if we lose because you think somebody else can do a better job, I would love to have a conversation so I can understand what we need to get better yeah. at. Um, there's obviously something that we've missed and it could be a combination of cost and skill. Uh, and then we would have that follow-up call. They would always let you have it. Um, and tell you what, you know, well, y'all seemed a little arrogant or it seemed like your experience in our industry was a little lacking or whatever it might be, but it it left the conversation open for us to come back. And then we would always do like the six month check-in, but we would ask at the end, we would say, Hey, we know you're going with that group. We hope everything goes great. It's okay if we check back in in a few months and just see how it's going. And nobody ever said no. I also, I really like the way that you phrased that to get feedback because there's something about that that's different than just asking for a follow-up phone call. And a lot of times what I find is that clients don't are not very forthcoming with their comments. But the way that you phrase that is it, it just yeah, it 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 um maybe because you're also making yourself vulnerable and you're saying we're willing to hear some criticism if criticism is required. 
Um, yeah. So that's interesting that they've got good results from that. So we're coming up on our time here. Is there any other advice that you would have to people listening who just don't want to pitch but know they have to? So the other thing that I that I really work on with uh, the agencies that I work with is to be very honest about the type of personality you are. And I've kind of narrowed it down to four different personality types that that exist among agency leaders. And, uh, and usually people recognize themselves in a combination of one or two. Um, you've got the hunter, you know, the natural born salesperson, <laughs> and the, yeah. you don't find too many of them. You've got um, the promoter and the poster child for the promoter is uh, that I use is Gary Vaynerchuk, someone who like the, his business life oh, and personal go. life really bleed into each other. He's always out there. Yep. And, um, and he probably generates an enormous amount of leads for VaynerMedia because of his because he's so such a promoter. You have the communicator, the person who is really good at taking complex ideas and making them easy to understand, and they love to talk in front of a large audience. So they're like your TED talkers. Um, right. And then you have the thinker, the, the the introvert. They also tend to be really good at taking complex ideas and making them easy to understand but you have to work a little bit harder to draw them out of their shell to make them understand that um, to, uh, maybe to reduce their insecurities and make them comfortable in, in, in playing on their own in their own field and being comfortable right. in personality and also identify tactics that are going to work better for that. I mean, this is sort of a long game, but often with someone who's a thinker, I'd say, you know, let's write a book. Let's write a book and then let's go and let's take some of that money. <laughs> and, and you know, and today it's really it's actually not that hard to write a book if you apply yourself. You can do it in, in thirty days, and it's, and it's not too oh bad, my right? Goodness. And then maybe let's take some of your resources and let's go work with a uh, publicist and let's make this like a serious thing. And then we're going to take that that uh, that book and the publicity around the book, and we're going to convert that into leads. And then I'm going to help you because I think often with the thinkers, it's once the lead comes in the door. They feel more comfortable um, taking it to close, and I can help them through that as well. But um, I, yeah, I think the mistake that a lot of agencies make is they think, "Ugh, I just, I've got no other choice except to go out there and do what I feel is really icky and be a salesperson and pitch myself." Yeah, and uh, and, and I think there those, are other options. Those prospects can smell it; yeah. they know when you're not comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Well, Jody, thank you so much for being on the Bureau Briefing today. I really appreciate it. It was great catching up. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I think it was sort of, I'm not sure if we stuck to the topic the way that we were planning to, but uh, I had a great time. I've never stuck to a topic, Jody. That's no fun. <laughs> and everybody listening, they know that. Well, everybody, I hope you have a great holiday season. It's coming up and we will talk to you soon. All the best. 